0: You're listening to the weekly wrap up on Spot Money News. Hello, and welcome back to this week's weekly wrap up here on Spot Money News. I'm your host, Jeff Rutherford, and on the line with me today, we have our chairman. Mr. Eric Sprott. Good morning, Eric. How are you doing today, sir? Hey,
1: Jeff. I'm well. I hope you are well and all your listeners as well, indeed.
0: Thank you very much. I'm doing good. Thank you. So, Eric, firstly, let's take a look at the economy and what's been happening there. We can see the U.S. dollar slid today slightly, which edged the price of gold up slightly as well. What are your thoughts on the economy this week and likewise what we can see going forward?
1: Well, Jeff, the same old. I mean, all the data comes out is very weak. Uh, We had weak housing starts, uh, weak building permits, and our state was weak. Daily Fed suggested there might be a little strength, but the new orders index was down 3%. So I think it's fair to say that uh, all the underlying data continues to point to difficulties. The average American consumer is being hard hit by, in particular, I think Medicare is the biggest cause, although no one talks about it, but I do believe it is the biggest thing. So there's not much of recovery going on. Some people are suggesting that uh, Europe might be recovering. Of course, they probably should with the weakness of the euro. And of course, the corollary of that is the strength of the U.S. dollar is causing jobs to move around here. And of course, all of them out of the states into other countries. So that's had an impact. You mentioned that the dollar was weak this week. I expect that trend to continue because we went into 2015 thinking, oh, we're going to have whatever, 3.5% growth or 3% growth. And now certain models suggest that growth would be almost zero in the first quarter. So all the macro data is weak. So there really wasn't the reason for this dollar strength. The other reason, of course, for the dollar strength was this imminent rate increase, which, of course, day by day is less and less imminent. And in my mind, not likely to happen at all. It's just like, you know, the exit plan from QEW and whatever, tarps and towels, and it never, ever happened uh, because it's impossible to happen because rates will go up. Perhaps uh, on sort of an economic note, but uh, really probably the next subject we should talk about is, is what's going on in Europe and Greece. We've seen uh, Greek bond yields just skyrocket here. I think it's becoming more and more accepted that uh, there is no solution. And of course there never has been a solution other than somebody printing some money. And I think the people who have to print the money realize that it's just throwing good money after bad. And the noteworthy thing is that the, there's been a spillover effect into uh, periphery bond yields, Spain, Italy, uh, other countries like that where yields have kind of shot up recently on the short end and they are all predicting that uh, something significant can happen in Greece. We've had very weak uh, euro stocks yesterday, got very weak euro stocks today, I think all anticipating that this is not going to end well and God forbid we have some domino effect I think it'd be interesting for your listeners to understand that notwithstanding um, the problems in Greece and all the withdrawals from the banking system, the ECB's ILA program has continued to put money into Greek banks. I think they're up to something like $79 billion now. So on the one hand, they keep saying they're not supporting the country, but on the other hand, of course, they keep supporting the banks. And there's some great articles, particularly by a guy named James Turk, who suggests, well, there's a limit to how much... They're going to put in these Greek banks uh, because under a bailout, which is very likely to happen here, the IMF has to make sure (laughs) that at least their loans are covered, even if all the deposits aren't covered. So we see this continuing drain of money from the uh, Greek banking system. That could very well spill over into other banking systems, and i have always... Uh, surmised and hypothesized that the greatest thing that could ever happen to gold and silver is that people finally realize that having their money in a bank is a very, very risky practice. So the geopolitical situation in Europe will hold a lot of interest here. Um, Greece has suggested they're not going to make their May payment to the IMF. So we should all stand by and watch that, watch those birth row yields to uh, to see where this is all going.
0: So, Eric, before we get into the discussion about the movement of precious metals this week, now, I know you've had issues in the past with information coming from the World Gold Council, but there's a report this week, and basically what the World Gold Council is saying, that gold demand in China will rise about 25% in the next four years as the increasing population gets wealthier. What are your thoughts on that information? Does it hold any water?
1: (laughs) Well, I'm always disappointed in uh, World Gold Council uh, data. And to say 25% in five years implies something like a rate of 6% a year. I think it was up something like, well, depending on whose data you use. And in some ways, I mean, it's gone up 300% in the last six or seven years, which, of course, compares rather interestingly with 25% in four years that the uh, World Gold Council is suggesting. I've never believed in the pontifications of the World Gold Council, The data we look at, and those are the deliveries on the Shanghai Gold Exchange, have been incredibly strong, and I use those as a barometer for uh, Chinese uh, gold demand, and they're very, very substantially. Even this year, I mean, they'll be well over 2,000 tons would be my guess. Uh, We're also seeing India come in and buying all sorts of gold. I don't know that I've even seen the official number for gold imports into India, but they've been uh, stated as being 125 tons, which is a massive amount of gold. I mean, on an annualized basis, you're talking like 1,500 tons. And between China and, and India, they would consume all the gold mined and recycled. And, and no, no, the other 178 countries would get nothing. So again, I go back to the demand data that we look at. It's very strong I believe that demand for gold products in uh, China will be very strong. I find it instructive that the Apple iWatch edition, which is made from gold in China, sold out in an hour. And it's going to be interesting to watch that and just see how acceptable uh, those products are over there, because they do consume somewhere between, I believe, a half an ounce and an ounce per watch, and it becomes particularly uh, accepted in China and around the world, it, that could be a big impetus to uh, the to gold demand issue. And I would find it very erotic that something connected with a high-tech product could... Uh ultimately changed everyone's outlook for uh, where gold's going.
0: Exactly. So let's go back to now in terms of gold this week. So we saw premiums for physical gold on the Shanghai Gold Exchange edged up 2 to $3 an ounce over the spot benchmark from just above a dollar last week. So with that being said, what's your outlook going forward, I guess, both in Asia and then likewise in the global markets as well?
1: Well, if I take a long-term view, of course, it's the supply and demand thing that tells me that things are going up. If I take a medium-term view, it's all this money printing and zero interest rates. In fact, I hear that there's even negative mortgage rates, which I can hardly get my head around. You know, you go buy a house and someone, someone gives you a check every year for the, interest, for the interest on your mortgage. It's it's a situation that's it's hard to even imagine, but I gather it's happening. And those types of things in the medium term are going to drive people to gold. We saw what happened when the, the ruble went down a lot. Everyone went out and bought gold. People know that gold is the is the antidote to a weak fiat currency. All currencies essentially have been weak. So on the medium-term basis, I think that looks great. The long-term basis looks great. On the short-term, of course, everything is very much a function of the COMEX status in terms of you know what the commercials and speculators are doing. We've had a little volatility this week Probably not bad net meta as you look at it, and I hope that the speculators have increased their short position here because we need a big speculator short position to uh, to move things higher. Uh, there's been a lot of flow of physical silver uh, on the COMEX that's happened. We've had a lot of um, gold leave the COMEX. I think we've lost something like 60 tons of gold in the COMEX inventories over the last little while. So I think things are set up. Uh, that anything that might uh, sort of light this match, we could get uh, a lot of excitement in gold. I keep looking at the charts of gold and silver and wondering, well, are going to break out of their little short-term declines here? And we're very, very close on all of them. So it wouldn't take much to start the fire and have a really interesting move in gold. So we stand by our, our forecast, that it's a great time for people to be accumulating both gold and silver. As you know, I stay very active in the market. I think the gold shares are very interesting. But, of course, everyone should own some gold and some silver just in case the whole too-big-to-fail thing and bank bailouts correspondingly play out. So I'm still upbeat on where we should be and looking forward to another good week.
0: Excellent, Eric. Well, as usual, Eric, we always appreciate your insight here in the Weekly Wrap-Up, and we look forward to speaking to you in the weeks to come.
1: Jeff, all the best for you and your listeners.
0: And to our listeners, thank you for listening. This is Jeff Rutherford for the Weekly Wrap-Up here on Sprout Money News. Have a great weekend.